anyway, uh, we'll try to get Chappie on again. And in the meantime, uh, our second hour, we have with us Ed Hendry, who has written a book, quite a tome, in fact, called The Antichrist Conspiracy, Inside the Devil's Lair. And Ed, thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, um, this was quite a work. May I ask you, I mean, how how many months or years did you put into this? I mean, this is an impressive uh, volume. Well, uh, it probably took me about six months uh, part-time work to, to put it together initially, but I've, uh, over the years, updated it with newer material. I first wrote it in uh, 1999, and as you can tell by reading it, there is, there's uh, more current information that, uh, that is in the book, and I've probably updated it once uh, every year. I um, so. well, I was wondering um, in the subtitle "Inside the Devil's Lair," was there anything earthly that that referred to, any organization or any body, an earthly body? Uh, well, yes, uh, the Roman Catholic Church would do, would be, uh, in my view, uh, the devil's lair, and this is a peak inside that lair. And it explains, if you read the book, why that is. Um, and what I did was, uh, in the book, I went through and compared the Catholic doctrines with what the Bible says. And when you see them juxtaposed against one another, that is, the Holy Bible versus the teachings and doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, you see that they are polar opposites. Uh, it couldn't be clearer that uh, when you read the Bible, many of the criticisms that Jesus uh, laid upon the Pharisees uh, were based on their doctrines, their traditions. Uh, some of those traditions uh, you can very clearly uh, see carried forward today the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, it is uh, a church that's based on spiritual deception. Um, it is not intended as a criticism of Roman Catholics. They are actually victims and should be treated as such, and the gospel should be preached uh, to the Catholics as to everybody else uh, because they are kept ignorant, as best the Roman Catholic Church can, of the gospel. Uh, and they've done everything they, they could uh, to keep the gospel away from Roman Catholics. Uh, for instance, when a Roman Catholic goes to church, you never see them carrying a Bible into that church. Um, that's something that is uh, very much discouraged by the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, the this spiritual deception uh, by the Church, uh, we can see today uh, being manifested in many of the things that are happening uh, in our country. Uh, but uh, the, the key to their deception is keeping people away from God's Word. And they have a number of strategies to do that. Uh, one of them is that they have floated many counterfeit Bibles. Uh, now, a counterfeit looks very much like real. That's what makes it counterfeit. Uh, but, uh, but it's very different. It's not real. It's not God's Word. And I'm referring to, for instance, 
the New International Version Bible, uh, the New American Standard Version Bible, uh, the Revised Standard Version Bible. All of these Bibles have been floated uh, for the purpose of uh, weaning people away from God's Word, which is in uh, the King James Version of the Bible. We had on Steve Wahlberg uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I know you uh, cited uh, Stephen uh, in your work. Uh, yes. And we talked at that time also that the NIV, which was a pretty, I guess you could call it, you know, pop Bible, was very uh, uh, popular during the uh, the 80s and such, and I got, I came in on, on the NIV. But for instance now, as far as we understood, and we said that we talked about this with Steve, I don't know if you got this information or not or whether you can confirm it, but supposedly Zondervan, which puts out the NIV, has been bought by Rupert Murdoch, and they're about to put out a gay NIV too, aren't they? Uh, they tried, my understanding is, okay. to to do that, but the political uproar was such that they quickly withdrew it. That's my understanding now. I might be mistaken on okay. that. Now, the NIV itself is bad enough. Uh, <laughs> in fact, um, one of the style editors uh, was, in fact, a lesbian. Um, the... The NIV is a real effort uh, by the church and somewhat successful to to undermine God's word. Now, the Roman Catholic Church has always had their own uh, Bible version, uh, the Douay Reims they've had for years. Uh, in fact, it was published before the King James. Uh, it's very much corrupt based on the Alexandrian texts, uh, just as the NIV is. Uh, However, the NIV has really gained popularity within Protestant denominations. And the seeds that it has sown has really uh, soured, or, you know, the fruit, I mean, it, it, it really, um, the fruit is, is, is almost non-existent in these churches now, um, which is one of the, I mean, it, which is one of the reasons we have such a political problem. I mean, this, the political problems that people see, that they sense today, uh, is a direct manifestation of this spiritual uh, corruption that is finding its way into the Protestant denominations. And the, these uh, spiritual leaders that are trumpeted on the major networks uh, periodically, like Billy Graham, uh, are part of this strategy. Billy Graham is, uh, is very much uh, in the... Uh, Catholic corner. He is an ally of the Catholics. He has been for years. He promotes uh, many of their uh, doctrines. He has said that he thinks the Pope is a great spiritual leader, the greatest spiritual leader of our time. Um, and I can't, I, I can't imagine that a hundred years ago, somebody who alleges to be Protestant could get away with saying something like that, but people in the Protestant denominations feel very comfortable with doing that. Uh, now it's felt to be uncharitable to say any, or to, to voice any criticism of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, even with all of this scandal mm -hmm. regarding these priests who are molesting these children on an unimaginable scale, you have people within the Catholic Church uh, that say, well, this really tries their faith. And rather than step 
back and looking at the church and seeing that it is, in fact, uh, an organized crime organization. I mean, there are documents from the Vatican that that uh, basically make it um, uh, help, rather, conceal these crimes um, by these pedophiles. They require that a victim uh, testify under oath, yet they have no such requirement in these secret hearings uh, for the priest. They, uh, they require that a person who appears before one of these tribunals, these Catholic tribunals, uh, that they keep everything that takes place in the proceeding secret. Uh, so it's... Uh, this is the concealing of criminal activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they'll do many times when a priest is caught, uh, they will transfer the priest. But the local uh, uh, parishioners won't know uh, where the priest has gone. Why? Because the transfer comes directly from the Vatican to the priest himself, and many times it's kept secret from the other priests in the parish. So when the police come around to arrest him, nobody can tell the police where this guy has now gone. Uh, it's, a, it's a strategy that the Roman Catholic Church has uh, uh, put into place to to uh, help protect these priests. This is criminal conduct. This is organized crime. Simply because it's not bank robbery doesn't make it any less criminal. This is criminal conduct. And uh, the, the sour fruit being borne by the church is just an indication of the spiritual wickedness within the leadership of the Roman Catholic Church. I want to ask you... Uh... Did you um, receive the uh, DVD I sent from Chris Pinto? Uh, did you? I didn't. I did okay. not. No. Okay. Well, it, it goes back a, a while, so I have to refresh your memory. When we spoke on the phone, I told you that I would uh, send to you a um, the second installment of Chris Pinto's Megiddo, the March to Armageddon. And the reason I bring it up is, as you were talking about Billy Graham, he has a very, very indicting clip of an exchange between Graham and Schuler when they talk about how, well, what we're getting into, and I know you can speak to this as well, but the papacy as well as New Agers are getting into this thing about the universal Christ, that um, you don't necessarily have to know Jesus. You could be a Muslim, you could be this or that, but you probably do know Jesus. And so therefore, you know, uh, wide is the path to the kingdom. And Schuler, and that was right out of Graham's mouth, and Schuler commended him on that viewpoint. So as much as people may have their hearts broken, because we know that Graham's done good work, uh, needless to say, this was very, very ascriptural in what he said, and there's no unsaying it. Have you ever seen that clip between uh, Schuler and uh, Graham? I have not, but it doesn't surprise me. Well, when you get, when you get a, a, the DVD, take a look at it, and um, um, yeah, I, I don't think there's any arguing with that. Going back to the Catholic Church, though, what, what do you really refer to when you refer to the Catholic Church? Now, let me say this before. We have had on Eric John Phelps, uh, who you cited. Um, we've had on Charles T. Wilcox, also did a book. But they were, they were pretty much um, heavy on the Jesuits and the Vatican. When you say the Catholic Church, are you opening that scope to include others? Well, I mean, you, you, you can't ignore the Jesuits. Uh, in fact... 
they called the Jesuit general the Black Pope. Right. And uh, the those in the know say that that is the real power in the Catholic Church. Uh, the Jesuits are immensely powerful. They uh, they it's been alleged that they they have virtual uh, control over the church. So uh, yes, I would include very much the Jesuits uh, in that. Okay. And uh, in fact, I would say that uh, they are prime, uh, probably culprits in this okay. uh, this spiritual warfare. Um, we have some Roman Catholic. Uh, listeners with whom I correspond, and some of them may be pained by what we're talking about today. And when I said about the Catholic Church being a little bit more encompassing, I think what what Phelps was saying, and I think what you are too, as long as as uh, well as Wilcox, is that there is a hierarchy of the cardinals who are also in cahoots here, are they not? Oh yes. And yeah, I mean the. Uh, all you have to do is look at what they do and how they act, and you compare their, what they say with what the Bible says, and it will become crystal clear that these people are modern-day Pharisees. They have, in their doctrines, replaced God's Word with their traditions. Uh it, and let me give you an example. Their means for salvation is uh, faith plus works. Now, that can't be more contrary to what the Bible states uh, than any of the other religions that are being uh, uh, pushed. The, the Bible makes it clear, the theme of the Bible, the very theme of the Bible is that you're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is not of works. Okay? Now, do good works uh, because we believe, but not in order to gain salvation. But the Catholic Church has now added this idea that you must do good works. Uh, now, that is directly contrary to what Jesus stated. And they have over 100 anathemas, that is, curses that they have placed on various uh, doctrines in the Catholic Church. And one of the curses is they have uh, an anathema in the Council of Trent against anybody who believes that you were saved solely by faith, by faith alone. But that's the very theme of the Bible. So you ke they can't have it both... Wait, they can't say they're a Christian church because that label really means nothing. That that they're they're not a Christian church, and to include them in the idea, the very idea of a Christian church, and to to state that they're just another denomination, uh, I mean that's that's mythology. It is a counterfeit Christian church. They have counterfeit Bibles. They have counterfeit r rituals. Uh, you walk into a Catholic church, you can see it for the. Uh, the pagan religion that it is. It's full of idols. Uh, you know, God said, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not bow down to them or worship them. And But that's exactly what they do in the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, 
they have a doctrine called transubstantiation, whereby they believe that the, a piece of bread, which they call the host, when the priest um, pronounces some sort of mumbo-jumbo over it, becomes God. And you might think, well, that's ridiculous. They don't believe that. Yes, they do. They believe that that piece of bread is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And that when people take that bread at communion, they are ingesting God Almighty. And when, in fact, when you watch, you go into a Catholic church, you watch people walk in front of the altar, they will genuflect, that is, kneel on one knee and do the sign of the cross where they stick their finger on their head, their chest, their left shoulder, and their right shoulder. Uh, and the reason they do that is they're worshiping the host, which is in the tabernacle in the altar of every Roman Catholic church. They're, that is their worship of their God. Their God is a piece of bread. It is something that they can see. Now, the Bible says God is a spirit. So, uh, I mean, there's no getting around it. Once you, once you explore the Catholic doctrine and then you compare it with what's in the Bible, it's, you can understand uh, why the Roman Catholic Church will do everything in its power to keep the Bible out of uh, the hands of those whom they want to convert to Roman Catholicism or the Catholic Church. Because as soon as people read the Bible, they will understand that the Roman Catholic Church is not a Christian church. It's contrary to the Bible. And that the Pope is not the servant of Christ. He is exactly who the Pope says he is. The Pope even admits, he says, I, he is the vicar of Christ. Well, vicar... The root word for vicar is vice. That's where you get the word vice president. Now, what does the vice president do? He's in place of the president when the president cannot speak or act. Uh, and the, 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 uh, an, the, another word for vicar is anti, antichrist. Uh, vicar of Christ means antichrist, cause so he's basically telling people, I am antichrist, because antichrist also means someone in place of uh, Christ, and not only that, against Christ. It has both meanings. Uh, and so really what we have here with the Roman Catholic Church is the, it's the Church of the Antichrist. And by the way, this is not so radical. Uh, this ha has been, uh, in the past, the traditional beliefs of the Protestant denominations. However... The Protestant denominations have now been so undermined that they dare mention this. Well, when I was younger and being in a uh, Protestant church and having access to the Bible, I found it strange when I would uh, uh, consort with my Catholic friends in grammar schools and such and hear about what, what they were uh, doing or listening to uh, in the Catholic church. I mean, one of the things was, I think, uh, let me see, one calling the Pope infallible, I'm, I'm saying to myself, well, you know, I heard that probably no man born of flesh is, uh, is infallible. And secondly, I'm thinking, well, uh, they're talking about uh, calling priests father, and I, and I think in the Bible it says, call no man father. Then exactly. They talk, and they talk about vain repetitions, and it's like, okay, so what's the rosary about? And, of course, as you mentioned, uh, the idolatry with all the, the trafficking, uh, buying, uh, you know, St. Christopher... Uh, statues for your dashboard and all that stuff. So, right. 
so the thing is, yeah, there are some things that actually fly in the face. But, I, but let, if we could move on to one other element that seems to be very key to the ascriptural nature of that worship, and that is, uh, well, you can call it a couple of names, and one of them is actually Mary worship, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Uh, according to Catholic doctrine, uh, Mary is a co-mediatrix with Christ between man and God the Father. Um, and, again, when you compare what they teach regarding Mary to what's in the Bible, uh, it's clear that that is unscriptural, uh, because the Bible makes it clear that there is one mediator between man and God, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. One mediator, not two, one. They say that Mary is a mediator between man and God. Uh, well, they just remove Christ from that position, and they say that you have to go through Mary, because Mary is in the, is God's uh, mother, they say, and therefore uh, he will listen to her. Um, the If you stop and reflect on that doctrine, if Mary were to answer all the prayers said by the millions and millions of Catholics every day, uh, she would have to be very much, uh, she would have to be God, because who could, who could possibly, with millions of people talking all at one time, making requests for her, and then having her go to God with these requests, she would have to be a god, a goddess. And basically that's what they've done. They have created this goddess uh, in the Roman Catholic Church. And they have prayers to Mary. They have feast days for Mary. They have idols to Mary. Uh, and uh, and, and it, she is a Catholic goddess. Uh, and there's precedent for that. I mean, there are many pagan religions uh, that have goddesses, and this happens to be the Roman Catholic goddess. Well, mother worship also goes back to the uh, whole situation with Nimrod, does it not? Uh, yes. Um, I want to uh, remind everyone that they're listening to the Grassy Knoll on Dade City Micro Radio. We have with us as our guest for the second hour, Edward Hendry, who has written a book called The Antichrist Conspiracy, Inside the Devil's Lair. Now, if we could do a little business, Ed, how can people... Um, take a look at that book, purchase that book, and is there a website where they can find out more about you? Well, the book is free. Uh, you can download it either in PDF or read it right online in HTML at uh, www.antichristconspiracy.com. Uh, you go to that uh, website, it's a free PDF download. Uh, it uh, It's it, it is free. I've, I've, uh, I've put on there a license for people to distribute it, uh, and it is, I view it as a ministry. It is a way of spreading the gospel. Uh, that's why I wrote it. That was my purpose. Um, I ask for nothing uh, but prayer, and uh, so it's free. People can, uh, can download it, print it, circulate it, uh, email it to their heart's content, uh, but they, they don't have to pay for anything. So it's free, huh, Ed? <laughs> Why didn't somebody tell me? <laughs> no, uh, I also want to let people know, too, 
and you must be aware of this, that it is also available on Alex Jones' Prison Planet uh, TV. Yes, I, I understand that. Um, and um, I, I don't even know. Is he he's charging for that? No, no. The, I, I'm kidding with you. But the thing is, uh, there is a fee for uh, uh, being a subscriber to Prison Planet uh, TV. However, there are there is a whole wealth of resources. So I'm kidding you about the bit about paying for it. Yours is there as well as many others. But I would also say to listeners that if you had a 50 bucks to spend a year, I really do believe that that is a pretty heavy-duty site when it comes to uh, works such as yourself and Orwell's. And, um, and that's where I encountered you, Ed. That's what started this whole thing. When I saw that, I said, boy, i really like to talk to this man. Now, do you have any kind of articles or anything else on any websites that people could go to? Uh, well, that's the that's my main website. I do have. I've just put up another website called uh, FreePressDigest.com, and on that I have uh, news feeds uh, from various sites like Memory Hole, Conspiracy Archive, uh, American Free Press, and I have direct feeds, uh, RSS feeds. I don't know if you're familiar with RSS. Uh, but it's real, real simple syndication, and basically, uh, th when they put an article on their site, it feeds right to mine, and there's a summary and a link. So if you go to freepressdigest.com, you can actually uh, there uh, there will be summaries of the articles, uh, and you can click on those articles and go to them. So basically, it's a one-stop site from which you can access many, many different sites that deal with. Uh, religious issues, uh, issues involving the conspiracies, and, and so forth. Uh, we will have on next week, as we do have on just about once a month, uh, the author Charles T. Wilcox from Canada, uh, who wrote Democracy Under Siege, which is um, it's more of a specific look than Phelps's Vatican Assassins, in that it, 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 its focus is around the Civil War and all that was taking place uh, between the Vatican, Britain, and both the North and South. And, of course, he drew on the work that you drew also, and that, uh, that is uh, Chinnikis, what is that, 50 years inside the Church of Rome or something? Yes. So, um, And also, he's read your book, and uh, he enjoyed it. I want to pass that along to you. Oh, so, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's nice that uh, you can get some mutual admiration there out of all of you who are doing a good work. Uh, moving on about uh, with the Catholic Church, First of all, you have to corrupt the Word of God. Also, um, kind of hang on to pagan traditions. And I would add one other thing, too, I have to say, that I am affiliated with a Catholic university. But this university and its um, paintings and its uh, sculptures are not unlike a Catholic church. And the one thing I've always found kind of um, curious, and maybe you can bear witness with this, and that is, whenever you see Christ in that setting, he's either still on the cross, you know, bad, in bad shape, or he's stretched across Mary in the Pieta, or um, he's a baby, an infant. So my point is, you never really do see a dignified manhood or godhood, if you would, out of Jesus Christ. Have you uh, encountered that at all? That's very perceptive of you, and that is something that most people miss, is the 
they always display Christ in being humiliated, uh, impotent, not a glorified Christ who's risen to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. Uh, you're absolutely right, and that's very perceptive. Uh, they do, in fact, display him in, uh, in a either humiliating crucifix or weakness, uh, yeah. or as a little impotent baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Jesus, sin- by the way, their Jesus uh, is impotent. See, they have a different Jesus. Not all Jesuses are the same. Now, remember, if, if people re- read the Bible, they'll they'll read that the Bible talks about another Jesus, and there are many other Jesuses. Uh, there's the Jesus of the Bible, okay? Jesus is God Almighty, who came down to earth and took the form of man. He preexisted. He always was and he always will be. He created heaven and earth and the entire universe. All right? That's the God of the Bible. God of the Roman Catholic Church, however, is very different. The God of the Roman Catholic Church is an impotent God. Their Jesus is not able to save you. In order to be saved in the Roman Catholic Church, you must submit to the authority of the Pope, you see, and uh, obey the rules and regulations of the Church. You can't go directly to, uh, to their Jesus. You have to go through their intermediaries, Mary, their priests. You can't confess your sins directly to their Jesus, you have to go through their priests and go to a confessional. Um, it's a it's a very different Jesus. It's not it's not the Jesus of the Bible, and uh, and people must understand that the um, their teachings are that Peter is the rock. Well, if you read the Bible, it's clear that Jesus Christ is the rock, uh, not Peter, and at if a fair reading of the scripture which they seize upon to say that Peter is the rock is that when Peter said, you are Jesus, uh, the son of the living God, or you are, I'm sorry, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, uh, Jesus said, man has not revealed that to you, okay? And he turned to Peter and said, uh, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now I'm paraphrasing, the, when he said upon this rock, he was talking about the truth that Jesus, that, that Peter had just spoken of, that Christ, that Christ uh, was the Son of the living God. That that is the rock upon which, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the rock upon which he's going to build his church. Not Peter. And but the Roman Catholic Church says no. He's talking about Peter. Peter being the rock. Well, when you look at time and time again throughout Scripture, uh, it's clear that Christ is the rock, not Peter. Do you use a um, a particular uh, concordance? Uh, I uh, I do use concordance, but I am aware that most of the like, for instance, Strong's concordance, uh, his. Uh, the um, his glossary of terms, uh, the, the dictionary, the translation he has in the back is very much corrupt. It's uh, uh, there's there have been uh, a, there's been a lot of criticism about Strong, and I am not that familiar with the other concordances that are out there and how faithful they are. But a concordance, I believe, is a good 
tool to find a passage. I do not, however, believe that the definitions that you find in Strong's Concordance are accurate. Uh, if you're looking for the definition of a word, God has, when he, in this Bible, he, there is a built-in dictionary in the Bible. If you read a passage and it, you know, it's not clear to you, keep reading. Look at other passages that use the term that you don't quite understand, and you will see that the Bible itself will define that term. God will tell what he means by what he is saying in other passages on related subjects. And so you really don't need uh, the uh, translations provided by some of the these alleged scholars, Greek and Hebrew scholars. The, the, the Bible itself, and I'm talking about the King James Bible, has a built-in uh, dictionary that explains what is meant by words uh, that may be you may view as archaic, uh, but in fact are there for a very good reason. What I want to do is, and because you know I have a, a little bit more of a political bent, I want to get to a couple of points and then perhaps when we have time left go back to some other items so I'm not really following uh, the, the book's um, index more or less. But uh, as I had mentioned to you, we had on uh, Wilcox to speak to the Vatican... Um, provocateuring during the Civil War. But you yes. touch upon uh, the Vatican in World War One. Can you give us some background on the, that connection? Well, uh, there is evidence that, the, um, that there was encouragement by the Catholic Church in fostering, the, uh, in fostering World War One. In fact, uh, at the peace conference thereafter, uh, I believe uh, many of the governments, including the Italian government of all, uh, would not allow a Vatican representative to, to sit at the table because it was uh, it was clear to them uh, the role that was played by the Vatican uh, in World War One. Well, would you give us a little history that um, you also uh, provide your readers in your book? Well, the uh, as far as uh, World War One. Yeah, I mean, it, that precise instigation and who were the players in it, the Vatican, uh, Austria-Hungary, and Serbia, it gives a little different uh, light rather than what we have read in our history textbooks. Well, uh, Pope Pius X um, tried to uh, persuade uh, Austria-Hungary to punish Serbia. And when the uh, Austria-Hungary Archduke uh, Francois Ferdinand uh, who was the heir apparent uh, to the crowns of Austria and Hungary, uh, was murdered at Sarajevo, uh, the Pope took the opportunity to push the Catholic Emperor, Francis uh, Joseph of Austria-Hungary, to declare war on Serbia. And uh, that became generally known. Um, and there there are documents that, uh, that attest to that. Um, but the the... The Roman Catholic Church, I mean, has been involved in wars, uh, not just World War One. I. I mean, that mm-hmm. that more recent vintage. Uh, people don't realize that they they have uh, been involved in causing wars in other countries, mm-hmm. uh, particularly through the Jesuits, mm-hmm. uh, going back hundreds of years. 
In fact, and most people don't realize this, that Switzerland actually had uh, in their constitution an article that uh, prohibited the establishment of any Jesuit institution uh, in Switzerland. Now, they recently, within the last couple of years, repealed that provision. Uh, it, the, uh, uh, the Roman Catholic Church and the Jesuits are very patient, and <laughs> they apparently, in their patience, have decided to uh, uh, work on the inside. Somehow they got, were able to have that constitutional provision repealed. But you can see, if you go online and look at the old... Uh, Swiss Constitution, you will go down to, uh, and I, I, uh, I cannot remember the article that is in their Constitution, but um, uh, you'll, you'll find that it is blank. In other words, you'll read their Constitution, you'll get to that particular article, and it's blank. They won't print it. You can't find it in any online version of their Constitution, which I found striking. Well, a couple of anecdotes, if you don't mind. One was... Um... Uh, Phelps contended that Napoleon was raised up by the Jesuits to go ahead and and smite those countries that had turned against the Catholicism embracing uh, the, the Protestant Reformation. Also, this is pretty interesting. Did you ever read Burke McCarty's The Suppressed Truth about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln? Yes. Right. Now, do you remember what she said early in that book? Now, she wrote that in 1925, and she stated that the Jesuits under the guise of being Mohammedans, because they were proscribed from going into Japan, got in there and began to instigate anti-American sentiment for a future war. And, of course, it, there, that would happen, uh, what, some 16 years later. So you're mm -hmm. right. I mean, they are, they are patient. They are persistent. And, uh, of course, even, that, even the book Shogun, going back how many centuries, really revolved around the relationship of the Jesuits to Japan. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that okay. that particular book or movie, uh, but I do know that as a result of the Jesuit intrigues uh, in Japan, that they uh, pretty much closed their doors to any foreign influence for many, many years because because of what the uh, Jesuits had done. At least that's my understanding. You know, when we f we first hit upon this about exactly how apostate the Vatican could be, and the power of the Jesuits. You know, I, I, I didn't believe it. And then once I started to research it, and after reading Phelps's book and Wilcox's, and of course now yours, um, when I look back at books I had read before, I find the Jesuits there. But then I realized what I was doing was just sloughing them off as some group of monks. You know, never really paying attention to what they could be. So No, no. See, the, yeah, the, the Jesuits actually, um, they... Uh, they were born out of the Alumbros, which was a secret organization that now we know as the Illuminati. Uh, it's a Jewish organization. Uh, the uh, Ignatius of Loyola was a crypto-Jew, that is a Jew who, who uh, would conceal his Jewishness. Uh, the first Jesuits, uh, from him to Lenez to uh, Eberhard, uh, to Mercurian, uh, they were all Jewish. And uh, what people don't understand is that it's not just, it, it, they, they are Zionist, Zionist Jews, and they have this, this secret organization 
was actually suppressed by the Pope in 1773. The Jesuits were. And it was three years later, in 1776, that Weishaupt uh, was alleged to have founded the Illuminati, which then gave rise to the French Revolution, which, as now you pointed out, uh, was uh, gave birth to uh, a, a lot of other struggles in Europe, and was, uh, uh, but all of that was the result of this group, the Illuminati, and the, uh, the Jesuits used their reconstitution of Jesuits under the Illuminati to uh, seek their revenge on the Catholic Church, and they did, and the French Revolution is just one part of that. Looking ahead if we can, and of course this is captured in your book as well, what about the role of the Vatican, um, also Zionists, and the possibility of World War III? I, uh, I really think that uh, we're looking at, uh, at coming up to World War III now, and I, I'm not a prophet. I can't tell um, what, what is going to happen, but uh, it does not look good right now. Um, I can tell you what some Zionists uh, have, have said, um, there was an article in the Arizona uh, Star by uh, Stephanie Innes uh, some time ago, um, and there was a senior advisor to Ariel Sharon, uh, whose name was uh, Ranan Gisson, right. and he had said, and I quote her, uh, we've been fighting a war for the past 18 months, which is the harborings of World War III. The world is going to fight, whether they like it or not, I'm sure. Now, that's a quote from a senior advisor to Israeli Prime Minister Ariel Sharon. Uh, and that was made in 2003. Now, I don't know um, the, uh, what exactly their plans are, whether this, you know, what he really meant by what he said, but if you take it uh, for what it means, uh, we are in for uh, some serious uh serious uh consequences to what's going on in the middle east right now uh this going into iraq uh you know why is it that that we're just laying back and allowing this president to lie his way into a war uh right now it seems that uh they are trying to push uh and prod uh iran uh, to perhaps uh, attack the United States. They're being very provocative in what they say and what they do, and I, I, it's, it's a little frightening as to what's going on right now. Uh, the war seems far off, but the way things are looking, I don't think it's... Uh, I mean, it, it may at, at some point come to our shores. Uh, you know, as I said, I'm just, I'm just looking at what's happening now, mm-hmm. and... and uh, it doesn't look good. Nothing happens that isn't ordained, that we believe that. And I think the time has come for those, uh, the neocons and, and George Bush, uh, to uh, be placed in power. Uh, Ed, we don't, on the, on the grassy knoll and those we consort with, don't believe in Republicans and Democrats anymore. We believe that whoever's in that office is pretty much not his own person and has to do the bidding of the global powers, which, you know, it's a Luciferian conspiracy. But do you think that the neocons kind of sidling up with the, um, the, 
the, the Republican right-wing Christians like Robertson and stuff have hoodwinked both all American people and evangelicals in particular to believe that the Masonic State of Israel is the Israel of Yahweh. Ah, very good point. Uh, you're absolutely right, and that's what they've done. In fact, that's one of the things that they have done to undermine uh, many of the nominal Christian churches. They have brought this doctrine into the church that, uh, you know, you must bless Israel, earthly Israel. You must bless them. Any country that does not bless Israel first by God. Uh, and in fact, uh, the Israel of God is the church. The Christian Israel of God. If you look, uh, uh, you know, a fair reading of the Bible makes it clear in Galatians 6.16. It states that, that we, the Christians, are the Israel of God. We are the chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. It is, God's kingdom is not the world. Okay? Uh, are you there? Oh, yeah, I'm listening. <laughs> okay, all right. I just heard a bit. Somebody was trying to call me on my phone. But, but, uh, the, God has made one people out of many, whether Jew or Gentile. Once a person has faith in Jesus Christ, they become a Christian. God has, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile in his kingdom. And he makes that clear in the Bible. Okay? This idea that somehow we're going to go back and there's going to be a distinction between Jew and Gentile is a very racist, uh, a very racist view and directly contrary to what Christ had said. And that is, it doesn't matter, Jew, Gentile, male, female, uh, there is no distinction in his kingdom. You are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Once you do that, you are a Christian. And uh, in, in God's plan of things, it's a spiritual kingdom. It is not an earthly kingdom. What we have in Israel is an attempt uh, to create an earthly kingdom. Well... The, these earthly kingdoms, unless they submit uh, to Jesus Christ, are going to be uh, those those kingdoms that will rebel against Christ. Uh, what people have lost sight of, I, I think, is that all governments at their core are theocracies. Now, that sounds odd because people say that uh, the United States is, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're we're not a Christian nation and so forth. Well. Regardless of how you characterize the United States or how we have uh, degenerated in recent times, uh, the bottom line is the core of any country is what do they believe regarding the authority of that government. And if that authority comes from God, okay, what, who is that God? And where do you read about that God? You go to an Islamic country, and that's a clear theocracy. Their God is Allah, the pagan God Allah. It's not the same God as the God of the Bible. Uh, you go to a Catholic country, and their God is the God of uh, Roman Catholicism. And they have many gods. Uh, the Pope is uh, the vicar of Christ. He's one God. Mary is another. They have all their saints. Uh, so it, many governments... Uh, or every government, even even communist government, which claim to be atheist, they are a theocracy. Okay, while their their theology is that there is no God, their 
that is a god in heaven, their god, the most powerful, the all-powerful, is their government, man, humanism, uh, their theology is based on humanism. And so, uh, no matter the government, even if they claim to be atheist, uh, it is, in, in essence, a theocracy. And the issue is, what is the chain of authority? Who's at the top? How do you describe that authority which is at the very top? Uh, and in the United States, our founding fathers intended that, uh, that at the top is God Almighty, and that we uh, are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. And, in, and the public servants, okay, are underneath the people. They are servants of the people. And the Constitution places limits on the authority of those servants. Uh, the, uh, in our constitutional system, we are not granted any rights whatsoever in the Bill of Rights. Many people don't, don't realize that. They think that, oh, we have this right and that right because it's granted to us in the Constitution. That's wrong. We are not granted any rights in the Constitution. The, the Bill of Rights, which the first ten amendments of the Constitution, are simply a list of rights, a list of rights that we have uh, that are recognized, but they are God-given rights. We get those rights from God, not from the government, not from the Constitution, and because we're given them by God, they cannot be taken away by the government. And the Bill of Rights is simply a recognition of that. If you read the Ninth Amendment, the Ninth Amendment states that the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be uh, interpreted to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And so the Bill of Rights is simply a partial list. It's not a complete list. Right. The Fifth Amendment is the forgotten amendment. That's right. Uh, the, the courts don't want people to know about the Ninth Amendment. Uh, the bottom line is the Ninth Amendment is where most of your rights uh, uh, are found. Uh, good point about the Bill of Rights being in the amendments, because that's kind of been uh, taken out of the landscape for us. But, but don't you think it's true that, you know, in the Old Testament times, there was a stiff-necked people who wanted judges instead of divine law, and then they wanted kings instead of divine law. And here we are these days, and instead of divine law, we have human governments which can only tend to be corrupt. And I think we're looking at a time now when almost all governments, in fact, I, won't even, I shouldn't even say almost, all governments have become corrupt because they're of man. And if that's yes. the case, then they are susceptible to deception. And I think right now, and here's the question I want to pose to you, and I want your opinion on it. I, I've been talking to evangelicals who get on my case about saying that George Bush isn't a Christian. And I'm saying, well, why do you think he's a Christian? Who told you? How do you know? The media has told you this. They can tell you anything. I mean, they'll produce anything you want. But further, and this is the question, when Christians get so heavily involved, especially in candidates brought up by the Republican Party, immediately they're told that they're, they're born again. Don't you think that when Christians get involved in politics as, as heavily as they can, that they really are going against God's adjuration to not be of the world? Well, you know, uh, the... And I can't remember who it was that said this, but the, the, the quote is, that in order for evil to triumph, it is only that good men do nothing. nothing. And so I think that, 
I think that we should resist evil, because the Bible says that we are to resist evil. So, uh, to... Now, I, I don't believe that, that people should compromise their principles in what they do in politics, which is what is happening so much, especially in the Republican Party. Uh, it's really a travesty what's happening in the uh, Republican Party. Uh, and, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, so I, I understand what you're saying, that both parties have been completely undermined no doubt about it. But if you stand by the Word of God, and that is your foundation, and that is your guide, then uh, then I don't see any reason why somebody cannot be involved in politics as long as they don't compromise their principles. Now, I think that a person who follows Scripture won't get very far in politics but for the grace of God but for the fact that God makes the way clear for them, because there are going to be all kinds of impediments to their further advancement uh, if they follow Christ Christian principles. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Well, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Ed. No, I'm, I'm finished. Okay. No, I, and I'm, I'm not going to lead you down a path you don't want to go to, but, but my, my stance now is, with some area evangelicals, it's like, Forget it. You know, to me, it's render unto Caesar what is Caesar. Let these two parties argue. You know, I've never seen a Republican candidate for presidency who wasn't portrayed as a as an evangelical Christian, and I never saw any of the trappings of it, except that that was packaged like that by their campaign. And I'm oh, I see what. Yeah, that's, and, and that's, you make a very good point. Uh, there's no doubt about it that George Bush is not a Christian. Just because somebody says they're a Christian doesn't make them a Christian. Right. Uh, I mean, I walked into a Christian bookstore the other day, and I saw uh, a full-length uh, cardboard display of some book that uh, was being promoted that I think George Bush was uh, the co-author, or he was the subject of the book. Uh, and this was this was been prior to the election, so it was some time ago. And, uh, yeah, there are people who take the view that this Satanist, and he has admitted that he is still in an organization called the Skull and Bones, which is a satanic organization. Uh, there is a lot of information about the organization that has leaked out its foundations, what they believe, what they do. Clearly it's satanic. He has not disavowed, he has not associated himself from Skull and Bones, so for him to come out and say, I am a Christian, my most, the most person I admire most is Christ, uh, I mean, that to me is just something to tickle people's ears. Mm -hmm. And people listen to his words, but they don't look at his actions, because when he's interviewed and he's asked about Skull and Bones, people say, well, I'm a member of Skull and Bones, but I, I, I can't talk about that. That's a secret well, he's not disavowing Skull and Bones. He's not coming out and saying, what an evil organization this is. I wish I'd never joined. I repent of that. He doesn't say that. He's still a member. He's still in it. He still has fellowship with those in that evil organization. How can he say that he, that he is a Christian? Uh, you know, two cannot walk unless they agree. And so he apparently agrees with what they're doing. Uh, so, I, I mean, I really have doubts uh, of his profession of faith. Uh, 
Well, we got a, a book at school that I just processed, and it, it's a complete, it's a complete, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, it's, it's all about um, Bush's, George, our present president's uh, relationship with Christ. And the guy that wrote it has done this a couple of times. You know, I remember going back to Ronnie Reagan, and I heard, well, uh, yeah, he's a Christian. He's got a Bible next to his bed that's that's all dog-eared and pen-marked and all this. And it's like, yeah, okay. And meanwhile, Nancy's going ahead and consorting with astrologists, you know. I mean, you can say anything you want to say. But the thing is, I have never in my life, or in his life, George's, heard him ever expound on anything scripturally. It's everybody can pray, everybody can say God, everybody can say Christ. But, you know... It, that just doesn't cut it. And um, I just wish that more evangelicals would take a look and stop being massaged. And let me, we have a little time left. Well, actually, we got less than a minute. <laughs> so what I was going to say is, why do Christians trust mainstream media? Why do they impute to this, this system such integrity? When it, I mean, if, there's no discernment here. What do you think? Um, I think that the... Uh that the churches uh, have been undermined by a strategy. Uh, and I think that the people that make it on major media are deceived. Mm -hmm. uh, either that, or they're in on, and they're not just deceived, but they are in on the deception and taking part in the deception. So it's one of the two. This is Ed Hendry, along with Visigoth. You've been listening to The Grassy Knoll. And we want to thank you for being with us, Ed, and hopefully we can get together again. And we want to wish you uh, Godspeed. Thanks. Thank you. Good night. Good night.